Tonight's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. This is the word of the Lord. The word vainglory is not used a lot in our common terminology. To define it, it means the excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. It's wanting recognition and approval from others, but it's excessive and it's disordered. We want to be known and we want to be approved of, and we want that knowledge and that approval to be acknowledged by other people. You may notice this vice or this deadly sin as we've discussed. These are the seven deadly sins, also known as vices, in the original um, creation of the list. You may notice vainglory is listed instead as vanity in a lot of the list that we see now. You may also see something interesting where you'll see vanity in the list taking the place of pride, or vice versa, where pride is taking the list of vanity. Some lists have pride listed in the seven, and they define it as vanity. There's a confusion over what this means, and there's good reason why there's confusion, confusion because in the beginning there were eight or nine vices instead of just seven. But the original word used was not vanity, but it was vainglory. And there's good reason to keep that wording in our language. Vain means empty, futile. And glory means honor and praise. So putting them together is a compound word. You see that empty praise is what we're talking about here. You're chasing empty, futile praise. Glory that's going to fade quickly and glory that was really never glory to begin with. So why is this really that big of a deal for seeking praise and recognition from others? I'm glad you asked. Here's the reason. Vainglory causes us to be concerned with what others think of us more than who we really are. I'll say that again. Vainglory causes us to be more concerned with who people think we are than who we really are. It's about image, not our real substance substantive selves, but image. Image becomes everything. It doesn't matter who we really are as long as people think we're something. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and we could keep going. 
all thrive because of vainglory. Rebecca DeYoung said, we are a culture who loves to watch itself. If you can't say amen, you can say ouch. I heard somebody say that and I thought it was good. What she's saying here is that glory is what we're seeking. We love to see ourselves. So we hold up our phones and, and we make sure, we make sure that we stick our chin out like this so we don't get that double chin thing that you're, you know, like that. And then we make sure we get the, the good side of our face, you know, instead of the other side, which we still hate both sides of our face. Am I right? And then we take that selfie and another one and another and another and another. And then we, about the seventh or eighth one, we're like, okay, I guess I'll use that one. And then we use filters and, and stuff like that. And then, then we finally upload it, right? We want the approval or the attention. And we want approval, which leads to applause. And so we get the attention from the picture being uploaded. We get the approval from the likes. And then we get the applause when people say, I love your profile picture. You look amazing. We're concerned more with our image than who we really are when it comes to vainglory. Vainglory also causes us to have false gods in our lives. Vainglory causes us to be more concerned with what others think about us than what God thinks about us. Vainglory causes us to put people on the judgment seat. Whatever they hate or whatever they approve, that is what we chase. So we make them a false god in doing so. Here's some symptoms that you can listen to. Some symptoms of vainglory. If you're wanting to impress your friends, you're suffering from vainglory. Something could be, I dare you to do this, or I bet you won't do that, and you do it, that's vainglorious. If you're wanting people to applaud your work more than you want your work to be good, that's vainglorious. If you've exaggerated what you've done before, if you've told everyone you were the best trombone player in all of Texas and you really weren't, that's vainglorious. Uh, we don't have a trombone on our music uh, team right now, so if you do play trombone, we'd love to talk to you. If you're, if you're making up something about yourself in order to impress someone, that's vainglorious. If you say something bad about someone else because you want to be funny to a certain group, that's vainglorious. If you say something that's a lie about someone else because you want to be funny, that's a lie, but it's also vainglorious. If you do something good in order to be noticed, vainglory. If you do something good and no one notices you and you feel disappointed because no one noticed you, vainglorious. If you do something illegal or foolish, well, that's just illegal and foolish, but if you do something illegal or foolish to get attention from a certain group, that's vainglorious. If you worry about a project you're doing or a task you've been asked to do, if you worry about it because when you're finished, what will people think of the work I did? That's vainglorious. If when you do get credit for a job that you have done, even by yourself, but especially with other people, and you decide to take all the credit, that's vainglorious. Because even if you did it by yourself, it is God who gave you the talents and the ability to do whatever it is that you've done. 
So vainglory feeds, and if that didn't get you, maybe I should say it again, because I think I covered almost everything that we would almost struggle with. And vainglory is just so deceptive and and diverse uh, in, in how it infects our heart. But it feeds off of two main desires. The one is to, to be well thought of by other people. We want to be well thought of by other people. That's not a bad thing. But excessive and disordered is when we go the wrong way. And the second desire is we want to think well of ourselves. We want to be thought of well by other people, but we also want ourselves to think highly of ourselves. We care more about people's opinion, whether it's yours or mine, then we care about what God says about us. That's vainglory. Isn't that an exhausting way to live? I feel tired just going through that list. The expectations of the world around us are always changing. It's fluid. What was popular today is not going to be popular uh, probably tomorrow. Celebrities are ripped apart or they're praised as gods depending on what dress they wore to the red carpet or what the cut of their suit was. Vainglory. Closets that we have are full of perfectly good clothes and shoes that we refuse to wear because they're out of style. And Labor Day's approaching, so get out your white shoes. I think I said that right. If not, I don't struggle with vainglory when it comes to white shoes. <laughs> but other ways I do. Even the song says about style, I wear your granddad's clothes. And you think, hey, you see, I'm not going to quote any more than that. You think, hey, he's talking about wearing his granddad's clothes. Maybe he's not vain. But then the very next line says, I look incredible. So we can't get around it. Even wearing grandpa's clothes, I want to look good. We wear clothes for image more than we do it for practical functions. The cosmetic industry makes billions of dollars because of vainglory. Motorcycle and car companies feed vainglory by appealing to how you're going to be viewed by others when you drive our product. Our hair turns gray, so we dye it to look younger. Our skin starts to wrinkle, and we're not as athletic as we once were. So I hear. I mean, I don't struggle with that. But we rarely judge others when they show signs of aging the way we judge ourselves. Aren't we more harsh usually on ourselves? It's okay if they show signs. That's just a part of life. They're going older. It looks beautiful. You look fantastic. But then we look in the mirror and like, I hate the way I look. We realize it's part of life for others, but why do we fight so hard to resist that change in our lives? It's vainglory. We want glory. We want praise. So the questions to ask before we get into the text is, when it comes to all these things I mentioned, and there's a lot of them, how much of these things really matter? How we look in our clothes, how our hair looks, how uh, our bodies look, all these things. How much of that really matters? And the second question is, to what lengths are we going to go to in order to impress people? And the third one would be, what approval, excuse me, whose approval should we really be desiring the most, and why? Vainglory is tempting in all those ways, but it's also tempting in a way that is especially 
targeted towards people that are of good moral character. Vainglory is tempting when you have virtue in your life, when you have good character in your life, because when you do the right thing for the right reasons, when you do an honorable act, it's, it's actually deserving of praise. It's good to be praised for something good. But when that's not given to us, when we do the right thing and no one notices that temptation comes up in our lives and we feel slighted, and that's when we must remember tonight, tonight's big idea, glory to God alone. When I don't get what I feel like I deserve, realize I don't deserve it. But glory goes to God alone. Johann Sebastian Bach is a composer, very famous. I'm sure you've heard of him. But Bach is remembered for writing beautiful cantatas and organ music. But he also wrote something that a lot of people don't know about. At the end of his manuscripts, every manuscript, he would pen these words, Soli Dea Gloria, which is Latin for glory to God alone. I didn't know that until this week. He enjoyed his music. He was passionately, as he, uh, when he composed it, he was masterful at his work. He was worthy of praise, but he directed his praise to the one it belonged to, God. It was God who gave him the gift of composing music. It was God that he gave the glory to. I'm sure he faced temptation to take the glory for himself because he's human, but just like we will face temptations for ourselves when we do something good, we must remember glory to God alone. So when someone praises us for our good works, we can be like Bach and say, glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. And if you want to be humorous in your reminding, of, reminding yourself about Bach, you can just say to yourself the next time you're tempted, I'll be Bach. That might have been vainglorious. <laughs> Um, but honestly, I, I chose that on purpose because but humor is a, is a great diffuser in our lives. I, I mentioned this last week in the pride sermon, when it comes to pride and vainglory, often we take ourselves way too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. Many times when we're prideful, we're vainglorious, it's because we want what is mine, what I deserve. And vainglory and pride are very much uh, alike in, in, in many ways. You know, all the good things others could praise me for are gifts from Him. And the same goes for you. So ultimately, we would do well just to give Him the praise for everything. The flip side of this is also encouraging as well. When we do well and we were praised, we can give glory to God. But the flip side is this. You ready? When I don't do well, when I don't live up to God's expectations... I'm not crushed by the weight of failure. Praise God, I don't get what I deserve. I'm not crushed by the judgment of the harsh crowds. See, good praise can also turn to vainglory. Rebecca DeYoung, who's the author of the book Glittering Vices, which is where we derived most, uh, most of our information in this, uh, she said she recounts the, the, the birth of her children. I'm going to read it for us here. She and her husband had a, a worshipful experience, she says, in the delivery room when they first saw their children. She said, We were simply awash in waves of profoundest gratitude and overwhelmed by the wonder of the tiny bundle that lay in our arms. For that moment, at least that moment, we breathed our glories in hushed tones. She said, That frame of mind contrasts sharply with the parade of family portraits 
and congratulations at the typical high school reunion where vainglory whispers suggestions in our ears about who has the nicest looking children, as if that would be to our credit anyway. She concluded, the amazing goodness of a child points one to the giver of all perfect gifts in, this, in the first case, while in the second case, the gift is used to merely put oneself in the spotlight. Instead of appreciating God's created goodness for itself and pointing us to the Creator, we take His good gifts and we wrongly point the glory to ourselves. Aquinas said that the virtue that was opposite of the vice vainglory is magnanimity, which is hard to say. I practiced. Regardless of popular opinion, this is not the substance lava in the volcano. That's magma. This is magnanimity. Magnanimity is when people concern themselves with achieving great acts of virtue as something to which God has called them. They do things that turn our thoughts to the glory of God because they are things or there are things no one could do apart from the grace of God. So magnanimous people radiate God's beauty in their life. When people see what they're doing, they sense God's presence in human action. It could be a great thing in the world's eyes that everyone notices, or it could be as simple as sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary in the Gospels. It could be easily unrecognized. But the point is this. Magnanimous people are stretched beyond their human limits. They do things that take the power of God to accomplish. It stretches human power to its limits, going beyond your capabilities into the realm of faith in God. It's not, what can I do for God? But the virtue is, what can God do through me? Glory belongs to God alone. It doesn't belong to us. And I'm going to give us three words tonight. Uh, to further illustrate this proposition that I'm giving to you. The first word is this, futility. Futility. The world around us is passing away. I don't mean this to be a glum and depressing point, but to open your eyes to the reality uh, according to God, that the world around us is always changing and is eventually passing away. The systems of the world will be passing away. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 18 and, uh, through 21 read this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This passage is telling us that the world around us is, is empty. It's futile. It's vanity. It's passing away. I read earlier the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's filled with showing how that man pursued pleasure after pleasure and good thing after good thing and using it for his own glory after his own glory. And at the end of it all, after he had done everything that he could think of, after he, he answered every beckoning of his heart towards a temptation or towards a pleasure, after all it was said and done, he said, it didn't satisfy me. It's empty. 
And Paul was showing us in this, uh, or is showing us still to this day, that creation, the world around us, not people, even though we're part of God's created uh, order, but creation, the world around us, is subjected to futility by God. And we'll see more in the next point why God subjected it. But for now, just realize this, that vainglory causes you to glory in the very thing that God has subjected to futility. Vainglory causes you to cherish the things that are dying, to cherish the praises that are going to be gone tomorrow, to desire the world that will not be here tomorrow. When you glory in the praise of others, then you, des- you desire a glory that is supremely lacking. It's like saying, I don't care what my boss at work says about me as long as the college interns in the mailroom think I'm great. Really? When you glory in making a kingdom of the own, uh, making a kingdom of your own here in this world, it's like saying, I don't want to go live in a brand new house. I only want a picture of a new house so that I can look at it and admire it. That's foolish. And in the same way, if we see the reality of why we're choosing to glory in a world that's dying and not choosing to glory in God who's eternal, if we don't realize that that is even more absurd than this, then we're going to continue to fall to this vice called vainglory. You're selling yourself short on God's great plan for your life. So why has God subjected creation to futility? Point number two. Future. There's a a glory that God has for you and for me in our future. God is going to use us, the children of God. He's going to use all those who have faith in Him to radically change this world one day. Of course, we are absolutely called to be world changers right now. We're to fight against injustices. We're to, we're to feed the, the, those who need fed, and we're to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. We are to be God's active agents right here, right now. But there's a great glory that is coming, an ultimate glory that is coming that God is going to orchestrate through His children. He's going to do it in a way that brings glory to Him, but it's also going to bring true, lasting, and full glory to His children. Glory. Look with me in verses 20 and 21 of this same chapter in Romans 8. He talked about uh, creation, oh, verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, the glory of the children of God there is where creation is going to be, when, when God resurrects us into our glory as his children and our redeemed, uh, resurrected bodies, he's going to also make the world right again. And he's going to do it through us. And there's going to be this glory that he gives to us. So glory means that the children of God are going to have honor and splendor and brightness and amazing might. We're going to have greatness that's going to be who we are. Isn't that good news? That's fantastic. But God, God is going to bring freedom to the created world when the glory of God's children is revealed. 
And continuing that in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, we see this. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. See, creation is longing for humans to take their rightful place back under the full reigning authority of our Creator. But until then, we face the childbirth pains of hurricanes and earthquakes and famine and droughts. All of these things that, that happen in a world that is just crying out for God's glory. Oh God, put your children in their glorious spot underneath your glorious reign and make it right again. These hurricanes are horrible. People losing their homes is is a terrible thing. It's life-altering. It really is. But even if tragedies like this didn't happen, if you had a life that was just full of no issues whatsoever and you lived the best life possibly you could live, it would pale in comparison to the glory that's coming. And that glory that's coming gets you through the hurricanes. That glory that's coming gets you through losing everything that you could have here on earth. That glory that's coming is going to make everything that we go through here worth it. We're going to see all of our tragedies through a new lens of God's unadulterated glory. But it's not just creation that's eagerly longing and anticipating God to to reveal the glory of His children, but we also are eagerly awaiting it ourselves. We're awaiting redemption for our bodies. We're ready to be set free from the decaying effects of sin. We will have resurrected bodies that are going to be far more glorious than you ever thought possible. You will have no bad side to your face. They're both going to be glorious. We will be so perfectly radiant that any thoughts of displeasure with our bodies will be impossible. We will have glory in the most spectacular ways, and we will give God glory in the most spectacular ways as well. We are going to rule and reign perfectly over God's creation. This is what this part of chapter 8 in Romans is talking about. And the world's going to be clean and free from disease and decay. No more floods, no more hurricanes, no more pollution. Peace will be the pervasive force covering a transformed world. God will be God And glory will be to God alone. But God is going to give us glory that's befitting His faithful children. Future. So it's all futility of now, the future of glory, and now we see the third word is faith. See, faith is what connects us to God and connects us to His ultimate reality. It reminds us that what we see is not all that there is. This is not everything we see, or this is not everything just because we see it. But faith in Jesus leads us to have hope in this world, even when we face devastation. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25 read this. For in hope we have been saved. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So when we have faith in Jesus, we have hope for this future glory that we're talking about. We hope for it because we believe that the the testimony that Jesus died and rose again is true. We believe that is fact. We don't look back and say, well, we believe in Jesus even though we didn't see it, even though we may look back and say we believe in Jesus even though we didn't see it, but because we realize that we have our faith based upon the eyewitnesses of those who did see it. We learned that in a connect group not long ago, that we read a library of books that have been validated, not just by one person here and there, but hundreds of eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And so, yes, we have not seen the literal Jesus resurrected from the dead, but we believe in the literal testimony of those who literally saw him raised from the dead. What this is saying is we believe those eyewitnesses accounts and our faith has merit because of historical documents. But what we're talking about here, this hope, is regarding future events. We have hope for the future, the future events and fulfillment of God's promises. And, and we have hope because God has validated his claims to fulfill his promises when he did the impossible. When Jesus magnanimously set out to do what only God could do. He died and he rose again in a glorious resurrected body, never to feel decay again. Jesus did what only he could do. He lived a life for the glory of God alone. He didn't just write it on manuscripts like Bach did, but the glory of God was permanently written on his hands and his feet with nails as he went to the cross for your sins and mine and for the sins of the world. He could have worried, certainly, about what others said about him when they mocked him. He could have proven them wrong when they said, take yourself off the cross if you're the Son of God. He could have crushed them with the power that only the Son of God has. But instead, he chose to allow God to do what only God could do, save the world. So without Christ... Our life is filled with futility. It's empty. It's vainglorious. We're chasing ghosts of glory. They're not there. There's emptiness. But with Christ, your life has a transforming power now, and there's a future that is filled with glory for you. And to have life with Christ, you must place your faith in Him and what He has done And then keep your faith in what he has promised for you. When vainglory tempts you, when it comes after you and says, you're not getting the credit you deserve, you're not getting the attention you need, you're not getting all the things that you need as a human, remember, all of those, every one of those, is met in Christ. He knows everything about you everything. And by grace, he has chosen to extend the greatest love and approval to you through giving his only son, Jesus.
So when you feel like claiming glory for your own, say these words that you said during the welcome. Glory be to God alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I pray we live in ways that bring glory to you alone. Forgive us for trying to claim glory that belongs to you. And, And we praise you for the mercy you show us in giving us eternal life through our Savior, our Redeemer. I pray that you would cleanse our hearts from this vice of vainglory and by your grace give us the virtue of magnanimity so that we could all pursue good works that would point to our Creator, the one true Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.